Let us look to the Lord in prayer. We have a beautiful access to God through Jesus Christ who has opened those doors for each one of us to come into God's presence and be able to be just there, broken, rejoicing, or perhaps confused. Let us pray. Dear God, we come before your presence with thanksgiving and knowing that we have access to your presence through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that privilege. Now, we we also know that you have heard, and you knew even before my sisters and brothers spoke their requests, you knew their hearts, you knew their minds, you knew what's breaking their soul. Some of them were able to verbalize it, some of them were not, but you still know them all, and we lay them up, O Lord, at the feet of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we trust that your spirit will move through, touch the lives that needs to be touched with your power of healing, your power of strengthening, your power of bringing confidence to people who are in doubt and fear, O God. We just read you didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of conquering. We know, Lord, that that we have struggles in this life, but we, we trust you. And don't let us become complacent. But shake us out of our comfort zone so that we can become a relevant community right here where we're at. Not just another church on Hurt Road. Oh, that would be awful. Make us different. So different, like Jesus was different than the other rabbis. But they followed him. May they follow you as we follow you. We, we thank you for our families. We thank you for our children. We thank you for grandchildren and great-grandchildren. We thank you for what you have given us. And we thank you for the grace that you give us and, and what you put in our hearts to give unto others and give unto your work. We pray for the state. We pray for this nation. We pray for the families in, in, in Beijing and in Kuala Lumpur who are just dismayed at the disappearance of their families. We also pray for those in the Northwest who the earth just collapsed upon them. Strengthen the families, oh God. May your spirit of comfort move in those individuals that need you. Not only there, but here right now. May we find hope and may we leave this place not in the same way as we came in. Touch us, transform us with a touch of the master, with the voice of the master, with the love of the master who taught us to say these wonderful words that say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. From them is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Oops, too soon. Let me set myself up. As you see, I have three items up here. 
good. It's not hooked up. Las Vegas is involved in this project right now. There are people laying bets. How long am I going to be able to be sitting down? <laughs> and I shall sit down, preach sitting down today. I don't know if you're aware, when I was in Geneva, Switzerland, and I visited our founder's church, John Calvin, John Calvin's church, I was very excited to rush into St. Peter's Cathedral in Geneva and join the, the, uh, the pulpit where John Calvin would preach. Well, I got in the pulpit, moved the little rope away, got in the pulpit up there, spiral, get up there, and, and I asked the Japanese person who was there, a visitor, to take a picture of me. It's easy. You know, go back. Uh, so they took the picture of me, and as I came down from that high pulpit in St. Peter's Cathedral, I realized, because I read a big sign that said that Calvin never used that pulpit. Never. There is a very simple leather chair right by the pulpit, and he would sit there and preach, sitting down. Typically, his hands were open like that as he would preach. Uh, he probably had a cheat sheet. He wrote in his hand probably the... Because I can't imagine him preaching. And guess how long he would preach for? Have you read one of his sermons? It takes an hour, 40 minutes to read. So are you okay? I'm sitting down. <laughs> what? What's the problem? Very good. I'm going to read from Psalm 68. And within the portion that I'll be reading, we actually read some of it. And it says the following. Listen to the word of the Lord. Sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of the widows, that is God, whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. But he makes the rebellious live in sun-scorched land. The word of the Lord. Acceptance is something that we are all seeking. Actually, uh, there are adults in today's society that thrive and are found a little bit awkward in their adult behavior because unknowingly they are searching for acceptance in different places. This happens in church. It happens in any institution that offers the openness of welcoming of people that come from all over the place. So accept acceptance is something that we desire. We desire to be loved. How many of you like to be loved? Okay, how many of you like to be respected? How many of you would like to have a good sense of belonging to a place? That's why we're here today, many of us. You see, St. Augustine of Hippo, he wasn't a hippopotamus, but he was St. Augustine of Hippo. He was the bishop up in that area of northern Africa. He said that thou hast made us for thyself. He's saying it in King James language, you know. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. 
meaning that we are in search of acceptance. We like to go out and find places that accept us. God wired us that way because God designed the relationship to be father and child, parent and child. And that relationship is always based on the acceptance of the parent and the openness and love of the parent. Now, let me share with you some story. I'm going to break it. Between the years of 1853 and 1929, in this United States, for those 75 years, we ran what was called the orphan trains. The orphan trains was, uh, it was perhaps the best way that we were able to figure 75, you know, years of, of what to do with orphans, what to do with orphans from the Civil War that were still around, what to do with orphans from the First World War, what to do with immigrant children who smuggled into ships running away from their families in Europe, Eastern Europe, Western Europe and ended up alone in the streets in the eastern cities. Many of these kids were actually gangs. They began gangs to protect themselves, and they created these substitute families. Some of them were actually orphans. Some of them were from poor immigrant families. And if you look in those dates, right there we have the Great Irish Famine. Between 1846 and 1848, there were over 2 million Irish that came to our shores seeking food and a better way of living and opportunities. And many of those families were very poor and could not take care of their kids. And one of those families was, was actually the family of, of, of a young man who had three boys. He had Gerald, he had Lee, and he had Toby. I'm sorry, Leo, Gerald, and Lee. In March of 1910, Mr. Nailing approached the railroad station in Philadelphia. And with his broken heart, he handed to the railroad attendants his three boys. Lee, who was eight, Gerald, who was six, and Leo, who was three. We don't know the reasons why Mr. Uh, uh, this father turned in his kids. We don't know why. But he must have had a good reason. He must have had a good reason because in him giving away the children, he wrote in an envelope, he had a pink envelope, and he wrote his name and his address so that the kid, and put it in Lee's pocket, so that Lee, wherever he ended up, he would be able to contact his father again. The, the train rolled out of Philadelphia, and, and they were out, and, and suddenly, well, they were asleep, like good old boys do in a good train ride. The three boys fell asleep, and as they were falling asleep, they saw the countryside. When they woke up, Lee found out that the pink envelope had disappeared. He never found the pink envelope. He never actually found it again. So Lee was never able to contact his father again. 
I would really like to be able to tell you and to tell you the story that Lee's father gave it all up and, and he sold everything and found the children eventually. Oh, I would love to tell you that, that Mr. whatever his name was left Philadelphia, sold everything, went out in search of his children and found them. I would like to tell you the story that Lee one day at the small town's pharmacy store in Texas or wherever he may have ended up heard a familiar voice of his father and responded to it like our young boy did here. But in Lee Nalin's biography those lines do not exist. They never got in touch with one another. They never saw each other again. In Lee Nalin's biography his father never came to get him. But you know what? In your biography, in your description, and as you unroll your life, those lines are in your life. Those lines are in your biography. The lines that a father, creator of heaven and earth, abandoned the royal castle, abandoned his divinity to come down to this earth to claim you and me in the person of Jesus Christ. Those lines are in our biography. We can find those lines in our biography because God loved us, because God turned himself into a human being came down to earth to claim us, to call us by name. And hopefully one day we'll be able to recognize that voice. Lee Nalin never saw his father again. However, Scripture tells us, and it tells us in an amazing way, in, in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, even before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in God's eyes. God decided to advance, in advance, to what? To adopt, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and he did it with great pleasure. Wow. God loves you. Look at the verbs. I've, I've, I've underlined them. God loves you to such a degree that he decided to adopt you. Not only to adopt you and then just put a paper and forget about it, but to adopt you and make himself a human being and come and walk the earth and proclaim that he loves you and proclaim that you are his child. God himself. Look at the three verbs that I outlined. God loves you. God has adopted you because he's decided. Now, loving is not an ephemeral word. Loves involve passion. Loves involve emotions. This morning when, 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 when uh, uh, Shirley saw me and we see each other, I, I asked for some sugar. <laughs> but I do the Puerto Rican when I say, un besito, besito, a little kiss, give me some sugar. And she gave me some sugar and then she says, I love you. There is uh, emotion, there is joy. When I went to Jean and Jean's house, Jean opens her arms in the chair and just waits for me to give her some sugar. 
Because we love each other. And she says, I love you, Pastor. There is emotion. There is passion. And God is also passionately excited and enthusiastically about his children, about God's own children. You know, I, I was not adopted. Uh, uh, I got to get up. Time it. <laughs> I wasn't adopted. I, I was actually uh, born from a mother and a father. And yeah. And, and here's her picture with me in the middle. Uh, that's me in the middle. The little overall says, that's pal. And remember where I was born? I make a big deal about this. No, Presbyterian Hospital in Puerto Rico. See? So I had a father. The, the problem with daddy was that when I was born, he just didn't have an exit strategy, and he got stuck with me. And so did my mom. Yeah, they couldn't get rid of me. They just couldn't. Uh, they did eventually when they shipped me to the mainland. But then it was a weight on their pocket while I was out here <laughs> going to school. But you see, I, I had the privilege of having a family. I had the privilege of actually being raised in a Christian home with kind of you know, wavery Christian parents that eventually gave their whole life to Jesus, not just part of it, their whole life. And that was good. But you know what? Adopted children are different because adopted children were chosen by their parents. Yeah. Adopted children, actually, uh, we know the story of going to East, Eastern Europe and finding that Eastern European child and bringing him home or going to Africa and India and Pakistan and finding those babies and they just take our hearts, don't they? I want one of those, say every woman usually. And we bring, and we, because we chose them. We chose them. We had a little, you know, maybe interview. Uh, when, when Lee Nalem was on the train, he was given a speed, kind of a speed dating kind of thing. The kids got to a train station in Sioux Falls, Iowa, uh, in Iowa, for example, somewhere in Iowa. The kids would be taken out of the, the train, lined up with a number hanging from them. And, and the parents would start, you know, people who wanted a kid would come and check the kid out. Like you would check cattle, perhaps. I don't know, on their teeth. Too springly, you know. And they were chosen. And they were given papers at that moment, okay? That's how they experienced. They were chosen. Now, the text that we just read also says that we were chosen. But God is not like the nailings who adopted Lee. You see, Lee, Lee Nalin's life got worse before it got better. They put him back in that train. See my little train? It's a wooden one, old wooden train. And he got put back in that train, and his brothers were picked, separated from them. Both Gerald and Leo, he couldn't keep them together. And they kept returning him. He wasn't being picked. How many of you had that experience in the teams, not being picked? I was always the last one. I was him. I was him. Now, if it was an intellectual thing, I was always the first one. Deal with that one, Edwin. But Lee, until he got to a town where a family adopted him, 
And Lee was very eager to be accepted by that family. So he got up early in the morning and he let the chickens out of the coop. Those of you who are from farms, you do not let the chickens out of the cages, right? Well, he was trying to help. And he killed them all. Yeah. And the farmer went back to social services and returned the kid to the train. And Lee was back on the train again. Three times he was rejected by families. Three times. Until one time in this place called Atlanta, Texas. Yeah. Atlanta, Texas. There was a family who received him. And, 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 they, and they went and, and picked him. Uh, but, but why don't I let him tell you what happened? Because Lee actually wrote a letter on what happened to him those days. He says, as I approached them, the two families, the man extended his hand and then shook mine in a firm grip. We're the nailings, son, and we are glad you're going to live here with us. Not for long, he thought. That evening I sat scrunched up in my chair As we ate supper, after failing in their few attempts to draw me into conversation, the couple stopped trying, and we finished our meal in silence. Later, lying in the soft depths of that feather bed, I wanted so badly to cry for my lost pink envelope with Papa's address on it, my failure to keep my two brothers with me, and the poor dead chickens. But my rage at that circumstances that had brought me to this point wouldn't let me. Dry-eyed, I waited for the first light so I could run away. The next thing I knew, the man was shaking me. I was disappointed to see sparkling morning sunlight up in the patchwork quilt on my bed. I've overslept. I can't run away now. Now I have to wait for another night. I pulled up my clothes and walked into the warm kitchen. Mr. and Mrs. Nailing were already at the table. I slid into my seat and reached for a steaming biscuit. But Mrs. Nailing stopped me. Not until we say grace, she said. I watched as they bowed their heads. Mrs. Nailing began speaking softly to our father. Thanking him for the food and the beautiful day, I knew enough about God to know that the woman's our father was the same one who was in the our fathers who art in heaven prayer that many missionaries would pray over us in the trains. But I could understand why she was talking to him as though he were right there sitting there with us in the table waiting even to share a biscuit. I began to squirm in my chair. Then Mrs. Nailing said, thank God for the privilege of raising a son. I started as she began to, I, I saw that she began to smile. She was calling me a privilege. And Mr. Nailing must have agreed with her because he was beginning to smile too. For the first time since I'd boarded the train, I began to relax. 
A strange, warm feeling began to fill my aloneness, and I looked at the empty chair next to me. Maybe in some mysterious way, our Father was seated there and was listening to the next softly spoken words. Help us make right choices as we guide him, said the Nalins, and help him make the right choices too. Dig in, son, said Mr. Nalin. That voice kind of startled me and caught me by surprise. I had not even noticed the amen because my mind had stopped at the choices. As I hipped my plate, I thought about that, hate and anger, and running away that seemed to be the only choices I had. But maybe there was another choice. This Mr. Nalin didn't seem so bad, and this thing about having an Our Father to talk to shook me up a little. So I ate in silence. After breakfast, they walked me to the barber shop uh, for, for a haircut. And, and we stopped at each of the six houses between our house and the barber shop. In each one of them, the Nalins introduced me as our new son. As we left the last house, I knew that at first light, the next day, I would not be running away. There was a hominess here that I'd never known before. At least I could choose to give it a try. And there was something else. Although I didn't know where Papa was or how I could write to him, I had the strong feeling that I have found not only one, but two new fathers. And I could talk to them both. And that's the way it turned out. Amazing. I invite you this morning to accept God's invitation to be his child. Accept the adoption with joy. And if you have never accepted being a child of God, accept it this morning. Make it real this morning. And if you have in the past accepted the adoption that God has offered each one of us, I invite you then this morning to rejoice in it. Rejoice in the fact that we have access to this wonderful God that actually tells us amazing words like, even my father and mother abandoned me. The Lord with all, with my anger, with my disappointment, with my confusion, the Lord will, with all will hold me close to him. The psalmist knew that. Can we read that verse together? Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Would you let him hold you close? Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for calling us unto yourself and revealing yourself as a parent. Oh, I'm aware that some people have very bad experiences with male fathers. But Spirit of God, I ask you at this moment to erase those pains and reveal yourself as the divine parent in our lives. 
that we can find that place that we belong, that we can find that acceptance that we so deeply and spiritually yearn and find in so many strange places. Thank you, Lord, for accepting us, for calling us unto yourselves and calling us your children. Through Christ, amen.